Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. We want to see you at our Hold Fast A Day in the Word conferences happening across Canada in 2020. There will be one in Halifax on June 5th through 6th, one in Calgary November 6th through 7th, and one in Winnipeg on November 13th through 14th. Visit our website to get more details and register now. Do you feel called to lead? Then you should attend our How to Lead a Precept Upon Precept workshop at our Precept Ministries Training Center in Brantford, Ontario on December 5th through 7th. Head to our website to register now. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth in our discussion on the book of Hebrews. Hello, everyone. This is Mark Sheldrake. Welcome back to another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast, a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. So glad that you could join us. Hope that you have been enjoying the previous episodes of Hebrews and that as we walk through this uh, book together, that you are learning new things and that you are uh, being encouraged by what you're hearing through this ministry. We are so thankful for those who provide uh, gifts and funds to help ensure that we continue to put out this uh, podcast at no charge to those who are um, involved. So we thank you. Thank you to our E-team members and our donors who constantly support us financially as well as prayer uh, each and every week. So we want to uh, start our time together in prayer, and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4. Father God, we thank you for this time that you have given us this morning again to be able to record this podcast. Father, I pray that those who are listening to this podcast would be encouraged, that they would be lifted up by what they are hearing. Also, Lord, that uh, those who are listening and they are digging into the book of Hebrews, whether it be through a precept upon precept course or the new inductive study series course, that Father, you would continue to encourage them by what they are learning as they discover truth for themselves. Father, we thank you for the time that we have now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the uh, things that uh, we have in our new building that we have here in Brantford, Ontario, is we share our building with a daycare. And uh, the daycare um, has probably between 50 and 65 kids on average Many, you know, obviously they're not school age, so they're very young. Some of those kids are uh, absolutely hilarious. Each and every week we have one young uh, child who runs into our offices and loves to push all the buttons on the computers and, and say hello, and he's always giving Jessica a hug. And it's been really interesting as we develop relationships with individuals here at this building, many of them who don't know Jesus as Uh, personal savior and so this has become a really uh, interesting ministry for us as we have opportunities to chat with and impact parents as well as the workers of the daycare but I've got to tell you one of the best times of the day of this daycare there's two of them really one is when they start making lunch because now we can start to determine by a game is what meal are they eating today Does it smell like they're cooking pancakes or fish sticks or is it grilled cheese? And so they have this rotating menu where you try to figure things out. 
and that's usually starting around 11 o'clock, and then it comes. There's this time of the day, which I find for myself to be one of the most fantastic points of the entire day here at Precept in Brantford, and that is at about 12.15, when all of the children go down for their nap. It's fantastic. You know, when they come first thing in the morning, there's obviously a huge transition for these children as they leave their parents and then they go into the arms of the daycare workers. So you can expect between um, 8 o'clock and 8.30 that a lot of the kids are having difficulties. So they're crying for their mums and they're looking out the windows to wave to their mums goodbye. And some of the children who get engaged into the organization uh, in one or two days, well, they're the ones who are having the hardest time to adjust, but there's always that time of peace and silence that comes right after the lunch. You can see in the eyes of the workers of the daycare that this is the one of the most exciting parts of their day as well because they're going to get a little bit of a break and a little bit of a rest themselves before they go. I remember when I was preaching in the church that I would spend all of Sunday morning, you know, you'd start your, your Sunday very early in the morning, and you would begin to prepare your, your sermon or go over your sermon notes again, and then you'd get to the church, and you might lead Sunday school, or you might uh, be involved in some different aspects before the church service. Then you'd pour your heart into the church service. You'd preach for 20 to 30 to maybe 40 minutes, and then you'd welcome everybody and say hello to everybody after the service you'd have lunch and then by time it came to around one o'clock 1 30 maybe two i'd put on pga golf on the television and the soft voice of jim dance and the people that were commentating golf would put me right to sleep and i would be able to have this good uh, refreshing nap and then wake up and in some cases, go back to church for the evening or uh, get ready to, to move about the things on Monday. Even uh, as a pastor, we took on things like a Sabbath rest, we called it. And we would take Mondays as our Sabbath rest, and we would just kind of shut off from the world. And we would take an, a day just to, to relax and focus and rejuvenate and uh, uh, focus on the Lord. The book of Hebrews in chapter 3, where we left off in, in week 3, in episode 3, was we were talking about the difference between the houses. There was the house of, of Moses. He was over the house of Israel and leading them into the promised land and up to the promised land. He never got to go into the promised land. But then there was, he was overseeing all the Israelites, and we know that during the time of overseeing the Israelites that they made the commitment to follow the law and to uh, they made a covenant with God that they would obey the law and shortly after making that covenant they broke that law uh, that covenant when they were um, making the ark or sorry making the idol we know that they broke that covenant when the calf popped out of the fire with Aaron when Moses was up on the mountain we also know that Jesus he oversaw a house according to chapter 3 and that house was one that was a better house and he was not only the um, 
keeper of the house, but he was the builder of the house. And his house uh, provided um, peace through his sacrifice. And so we know that those who are of the house of Jesus are those that we would refer to as believers and Christians, those who follow after Jesus. He talks about, in chapter 3, verse 11, he begins to bring up this topic of rest. And so throughout chapter 4, the focus is going to be on rest. And so as we begin this um, time together in the podcast, I want to lay out to you that the very fact that within Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, there's five different types of rest. And so we're going to look at these different types of rest as we work through the text, but let me give them to you now. The first is that it's God's Sabbath rest. We'll look at this one, but that's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, as well as in chapter 4, verse 10. In chapter 4, verse 4, he said, for he had said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So this points back to creation. In the Genesis chapter 2, we see that he created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So there's God's Sabbath rest, which, according to the Old Testament, was if you were to obey and be obedient to that rule of rest, you couldn't work, you couldn't do anything for yourself on that day of Sabbath rest, and if you did, it could lead and did lead in some cases to death. The second type of rest that comes in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 is that Canaan rest. It's the rest for Israel after they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. This, this is the rest that is referred to back in chapter 3, verse 11. As I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest. And we'll look closer at this Canaan rest as well. The third type of rest that we see in the discussion here is it's the believer's present rest that comes through salvation. That means that they're resting in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 3, for we have believed and enter the rest just as he said. And then chapter 4, verse 10, he talks about for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. And so we'll, we'll break this down a little bit more as well. The fourth type of rest is the uh, comes in chapter 4, verse 11, and that is, Therefore let us be diligent to enter the rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. This is the overcomer, the one who will enter present rest uh, through victory. And so it's the one who perseveres will enter into the rest. And then the final rest would be chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people. And this rest refers to a future eternal rest that comes in heaven. And so let me give you these five types of rest one more time, and then we'll work through these path, this passage verse by verse, coming through the, the, the idea of rest. The first is God's Sabbath rest. The second is the Canaan rest, where Israel uh, rested after wandering in the desert for 40 years. There's the believer's present rest that comes uh, in Christ. And there's the overcomer's present rest of victory. And then there's the future eternal rest, which is in heaven. 
And so we'll work through each and every one of these uh, as we go through our podcast episode this week. So the beginning of chapter 4 has the word, therefore. And the therefore, when you see it there, you want to say, well, what's it there for? Therefore, we know, is a term of conclusion. It's wrapping up the subject or reiterating or summarizing for us what's already been said. What's already been said in chapter 3 is that Jesus is over a house and that we want to make sure that we are a part of Jesus' house. Don't let our hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Make sure that you know and understand and persevere that you become a partaker of Christ. He says, he says twice in chapter 3, hold fast. Hold fast your confidence and boast of our hope until the end. Hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. You have to persevere in your Christian faith from the beginning, from when you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, right until the end, whether it be your end, that when God calls you home, whatever that day may be, we just don't know. We do know that our days are numbered. Or when Christ returns and takes us to be with him. That we've got to persevere in our faith and our assurance and our confidence until the end. And so what he says there is that therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. So you see, this is not much different of a subject than he's covering in chapter 3. He's still wanting us to know that we could potentially come short of the promise, that we could come short of entering into his rest. And the way that we would come short of entering into his rest is by an unbelieving heart, a heart that does not believe the gospel message, does not believe that the promises of eternal life will be fulfilled. This is not about us being in the position of the family of God and us having a, the ability to lose our salvation and then falling short. So what the author of Hebrews is summarizing here is that he wants us to ensure that we are a part of the house of God, that we are a part of this house that he referred to that is which of Jesus, which provides eternal life. What he's saying, and let me summarize this for you, as one scholar wrote, he said that we are to, uh, in reverential fear, examine our spiritual condition, that we're to look at our hearts and we're supposed to say, you know, have I really truly repented? Am I walking in a way that I follow after Jesus Christ and his teaching? Am I a true disciple? And I'm thinking back into the Gospel of Luke when he says that, you know, you're to to deny yourself and pick up your cross. Have I truly denied myself? Have I died to all things of myself? And have I fully followed after Christ? Therefore, you know, while the promise remains, the promise is still there. And that's what he's saying to these, to these recipients is that you're not too late to the party, that you're not too late to be able to be a part of the promise to be partakers of the heavenly calling, that you still have an opportunity to examine your heart and to make sure that you are in the family of God. We have that opportunity right until the return of Jesus Christ. And so it's, in, it's important for us to examine our hearts. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize 
this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And so the call is to continually examine our hearts and make sure that we have entered into his rest. So what is the believer's rest? For the believer, God's rest includes peace. It includes the knowledge, the very fact that before Jesus, before Jesus was in our lives and we surrendered to him, we were children of wrath. We were headed for eternal destruction because of the sin that we inherited from Adam. But now that we have come to Jesus, we are in the house of Jesus, that we are a part of the partakers of the heavenly promise. We have peace with God. We don't have to worry about facing that wrath. We know that we've been washed by the blood of Christ, and therefore we have peace. We also have confidence of our salvation, that the work on the cross was done, and that we know that Jesus is true to his word. We know that God is true to his word. We know that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice as payment for sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were forgiven. And so we have confidence that in our profession of faith, in the knowledge that we believe that Jesus did what he did on the cross, we have salvation. There is this reliance on his strength that we get through God's rest and entering into his rest. We rely on him and the knowledge that he did it. There's nothing that we can do. There is not one single act not one work that we can do with, within this earth that will get us to the point of entering into God's rest. And so it's a reliance on his strength. God's rest also includes the assurance of our future heavenly home, knowing that this is not our final resting place, that one day we will be in the presence of God with Jesus in heaven. And that is what we hope for and look for, Peter wrote in his, his letters, he said, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix, on your, fix your eyes on the one who is going to return. And why do we look for him to return? Because we know when he returns, he's going to take us to our home. Revelation 21 tells us about this new home, the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. He saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready a bride adorned for her husband. He, John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Listen to what it's like to have this in this new home, this new place. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right for, right for these words are faithful and true. So what are we looking for? What are we hoping for? This, what is described in Revelation 21. This is what we want. This is why we want to persevere in our faith. This is why we don't want to fall back. This is why we don't want to have our heart hardened. Because we know we have peace with God. We're never going to face the wrath that he has for those who unbelieve, that don't believe. We're never going to face the wrath for those who have never entered into his rest. We have confidence that we are saved. We have confidence that we will receive the gift of eternal life. We also know that when we are in his rest, we can rely on his strength and we can be assured that we will enter into heaven. 
It's absolutely amazing to see this. And just a few short weeks ago, my aunt, who was dealing with a uh, um, an issue with her heart, she was struggling with a, um, a heart valve, and she needed it to be replaced, but the doctors were not able to do the surgery because of her age. And so here she was. She was sitting there in her hospital room, and she was so confident of the following things, that she had peace with God, that she was confident of her salvation, that she was relying on his strength to get her through all the difficult times. But most importantly, what she was so confident of was that when she left this earth, she was heading home. This is what it looks like to be in the rest of God, according to the book of Hebrews. And so we have just in verse one, therefore, let us, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short. It's not too late. You can still get into you can still get into the family of God. The promise is still there. And then if you look at verse two, for indeed, we have good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. If you think back, the gospel message has been preached since the very beginning, way back into the book of Genesis. And so when the gospel is preached that even those who were with Moses in the desert, they heard the truth of God. And yet, back in the desert, when they heard the truth of God, they chose not to believe. Verse 16 of chapter 3, For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. Their hearts were hardened. They provoked. They didn't believe. And so what he's saying here in verse 2 is that the good news was preached both to them and to us. But what happened to them was it was not united with faith. They didn't believe. And therefore, they did not enter into his rest. Verse 3, for we who believe enter that rest. Just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and again in this passage, they shall not enter his rest. And so verse 3, it tells us that the work was finished. The work was finished from the very beginning, just like when Jesus was a part of the creation story. When God had created the world in six days, he rest. Way back then, the work was finished. The rest that God has for us is based on his finished work. It's absolutely amazing to put all of this together and see how the author continues to point back to the Sabbath rest of resting uh, from work and doing things and on the uh, seventh day, the, the laws that come through Exodus and Leviticus regarding the Sabbath and that you should not work on the seventh day, but you should rest and be completely reliant on God. And so here again, he says in verse four, he says, for he said somewhere concerning the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. You see, what the author is telling us here is it goes back all the way to the beginning in which house you are a part of. The promise of entering into the house of Jesus still remains. The gospel is still at work amongst the people of the Hebrews. It's still at work during this time. It's still at work today. There's still an opportunity to enter into the rest. 
All you have to do is come to a point of believing that Jesus was the Son, is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the one who was sent to the cross to die and be the propitiation for our sins. So the promise is there. All you have to do is receive and believe. And so what you have here is that you have a therefore in verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. You see, they continued to disobey God. They didn't accept the truth. They didn't follow the truth. They didn't follow in obedience. They just continued to disobey, and therefore, because of their disobedience, they never entered into the rest. Those who are obedient to Jesus and his calling will enter into his rest. Verse 7 says he fixes a certain day today saying that through David, after so long a time, uh, just as he had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you know that this whole passage that we've been looking through for the last couple of weeks, there is a repeated phrase that comes through. Verse 8 of chapter 3, do not harden your hearts. And in verse 15, do not harden your hearts of chapter 3. In chapter 4, verse 7, do not harden your hearts. Do you see what's happening here is the author is continuing to go back to, don't harden your hearts in, dis, in disbelief, in unbelief, and don't be disobedient because those who do not believe, those who are disobedient will not enter his rest. So be careful, do not harden your heart. Examine your heart, examine your life to ensure that you are in God's rest. It's urgent that you ensure that you are a part of the family of God. Why? Well, the day and the hour is unknown of Christ's return. Revelation, he tells us, behold, I'm coming soon. So what if you're one of those people? What if you're one of those people who's living their life and they're saying, you know what, for today, I can live my life and I can just live the way I want to and I can go on sinning and just living that worldly life. And you know what? When it comes close to that time of when I'm going to pass away or I'm going to die, that at that time, I will repent of my sins and I will enter into his rest. I'll just wait. There's no urgency behind this. I'll just take my time. I still want to live that life of the world. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying it's very urgent for you to determine where you are and if you've entered in his rest. You see, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. The only one that knows what tomorrow will bring is God. Picture it like this. Imagine walking a street corner. As you're walking up the street and you're coming to the corner and there's a large building that's blocking your view around the corner. There's no windows in that building, and so you can't see around the corner. On one corner, you have people walking, and you're walking, and you're coming to that corner. There's two things that could possibly happen, and maybe this has happened to you before. As you walk around that corner, someone else is walking around that corner, and you almost bang into them, and it actually startles you because you weren't aware that they were there. Then there might be some, like myself, who might stand on that corner and wait to make you jump when you come around that corner. But the reality is our life is a lot like that corner. 
when we're walking, we're walking to the corner within great anticipation. What's around that corner? I'm not sure what's around that corner. But do you know who's already around that corner? God. He's already made his way around and he knows what's going to happen. And just around that corner, what could possibly happen is the very end of your life. Just around that corner could be the last day you spend here on earth. And what happens when you're waiting and wanting to live a life of the world, when you get around that corner and you don't realize that in the blink of an eye, your life could end? You see, that becomes the difference that if you get around that corner and your life ends, you've actually died with an unbelieving heart. You've died with a disobedient heart. And the one with the unbelieving and disobedient heart does not enter into God's rest. Do you see what's at stake here and why the author says it's so urgent? Because it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of spiritual death. The fact that if you are a part of the house of Jesus and you are a part of his, his family, you have eternal life. You get to enter into the promises that, of the heavenly calling. You get to be a part of heaven. But if you're not, and you're not entering into that rest, and you fall short of entering that rest, well, the outcome is not as good. It's the lake of fire. It's judgment for your sins and your disobedience. And so the author is saying, make sure, be assured of your salvation. Look into your heart and determine that you are a part of the family of God. Verses 8 to 10, let me read these to you. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. It's very interesting that the author points back to Joshua because Joshua is the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. He's the one that led them into the land of Canaan. One of the five types of rest that I gave you was that they would enter the rest of Israel, that the Israel would enter into Canaan after 40 years, that they would have rest when they entered into the promised land. Well, the people of Israel, when they entered into the promised land, they didn't have rest. They were constantly up against wars and struggles and difficulties. Joshua never provided them rest. You see, what the author is saying that Moses didn't offer them rest. Joshua didn't offer them rest. Only Jesus can offer you rest. And rest only comes through Jesus Christ and believing in him. Do you see the urgency? That there is no other way for you to have rest. In Genesis chapter 9, it says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for all the people of God. The word Sabbath here is used only once in the New Testament, and it's right here. It's referring back to Genesis chapter 2. And when God created the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh. The rest that he's pointing to here is the one that points to the future. This is, the future, this is the future that we have, is that one day we will rest in God's presence in heaven. But there is nothing we can do to ensure that we get there. It's all by the work of Jesus that he did on the cross. 
The author of Hebrews wraps up his subject on rest and the confidence in knowing that you've entered into God's rest in verses 11 to 13. With the word therefore, again, another term of conclusion. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter the rest so that no one will fall away through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of any of, of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know what this is right here? If you were to kind of summarize this section, these three verses, and you want to write in the margin of your Bible, this is accountability. This is true accountability and ensuring that you have entered in the rest. Why? We'll look at it this way. The therefore says, let us be diligent. Let's make every effort to enter into that rest. Be confident, be assured, evaluate your heart. Am I truly living after Jesus? Am I obedient to his teachings? Do I hold all of his teachings true? Do I bear fruit in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I so proving that I am a true child of God, that I am a disciple? Have I denied myself and followed after him? Have I left everything behind and followed after Jesus? This takes me back to Psalm chapter 19. And what David begins to say regarding the word of God, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect in restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by your commandments, your precepts, your testimonies, your law, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? And then listen to what David says as he asks the Lord to evaluate his heart. He says, acquit me of my hidden faults. Lord, point me to those sins that are in my life that I don't know are sins. Point those things out to me so that I can live a life that brings honor and glory to you, that I can be transformed to be more and more like you each and every day. Father, show me those things that I don't know I am doing. He says, also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Father, help me not to commit sins that I know are sins, but I do them anyway. He also says, let them not rule over me. There's three types of sin that he's referring to here. Evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. This is what it is. You know, God wants you to look at your sin. He wants you to ask him to find the hidden sins. He wants you to find the presumptuous sins. He wants you to find those sins that enslave you. And he wants you to repent of those things. And that's what David says. He says, find those things that are hidden in my life. Find those things that I'm doing that I know are wrong, but I continue to do them anyway. Father, look for those sins that enslave me and rule over me and help me to break them. And we know that the way to break all of these is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter his rest. Oh, Father, evaluate our hearts to make sure that we are in his rest. Because what happens when we're in rest? We have peace. 
we have confidence in our salvation. We have a reliance on him and his strength. And we have an assurance of a future in the heavenly home. Let us be diligent. Make every effort to do so. In Hebrews uh, 4.12, we have this verse that we see used a lot of the time when we're referring to the word of God. And what he says here is that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of any of the soul and the spirit to both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is filled with so many things. There's, there's words of great encouragement. You know, Jesus, what he said in Matthew, he says, do not worry about tomorrow for today has troubles of its own. I'm the provider. I'm going to take care of you. There's great promises, promises of eternal life, but the word of God is also a word that has uh, judgment within it. The word of God will show us our heart. The word of God will show us whether we are walking after him or we are not. I can remember back to reading and studying through the book of First John, and just the other day I was talking with a pastor in Ontario about this, and we were looking at First John in just the first uh, couple chapters, and in our discussion we were talking about what it meant to be a child of God. One of the most convicting verses that came out of a study of First John, and I was just working with a pastor the other day through this, and what we have here is that in verse uh, 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Oh, man, these verses can be so convicting. If you have plenty and you see others in need, you should give to them. Out of your generosity, you show that the love of God and God abides in you. Well, how often do we see other people in need and we turn our cheek to them because we become judgmental of why they've become in that position? Oh, if I give them money, they're just going to use it on drugs and alcohol. Oh, if I give them money, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I'd rather just give them food than anything else. But that's a good plan to do as well. Do you know at the end of our street where we currently are located in our building, we have one of the biggest tent cities for homeless people in our city. Right at the end of the street. We drive by it each and every day. It's become to the point just in the last week, because it's become so critical for the city of Brantford to get these people into homes or into places because the shelters are overrun with people that they've actually gone and sought out the faith-based organizations in the city to help. What a testimony it will be when all of the churches and all the faith-based groups come together and they provide the needs of those people. Why? Because the love of God abides in them and they see their brothers in need and they help them. Therefore, the word of God, you know what? It can be judgment, judging and convicting. You see, the people in Hebrews, what they were doing is they were going with their voices only and saying that they were of the faith. They never really hopped over to the other side of the fence to ensure that they were a part of the house of God. They weren't fully committed. And the author is saying to them, make sure that you are in the house of God, that you are there. No creature is hidden from his sight. Be confident in the knowledge that you are there. Ensure that you have entered into his rest. Three times in chapter 3 and 4, do not harden your heart by unbelief. That's the challenge for us, isn't it? Be assured of the confidence. Are we abiding in Jesus? 
Are we seeing fruit in our relationship with him? Are we impacting others? Are we loving those and giving to those that are in need? Are we confident that we've entered into his rest? Are we at peace? Do we know that we have the confidence of our salvation? Are we assured that we're going to be partakers of the heavenly calling, that we're going to enter into heaven? This is the challenge that we have. Evaluate your heart. Ask God where you are. How are you doing in your relationship with him? Get into the word of God and study it because that's the beauty of the word of God. It'll show you where you're falling short. It'll show you where you're doing well. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction upon you so that you can ensure that one day, when that day comes, when you get around that corner and it is your final hours and days on earth, that you know with full assurance you are entering into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the confidence that we have in your word. Father, I pray so for each and every listener here on the podcast that they are confident in knowing that they will enter into your rest, that the only entrance into your rest is through the blood of Jesus Christ, that our sins need to be washed away, that we need to repent, that we need to be obedient to your word. Father, may your word convict us in the areas that we need conviction. May we become closer and closer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name, 